Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. This is a bonus interview episode. I'm Wayne G. And today I am joined by the writer, director, and star of the 2017 sci-fi thriller, Brute Sanity, Sam Vanivray. Sam, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I do have a number of questions for Sam regarding filmmaking, acting, the state of Hollywood in general. But before we dive into that, please make sure you are following on social media. We are on Twitter at Recast a Podcast, on Facebook at Recast a Podcast, on TikTok at Recast a Podcast, and on Instagram at Recasted Podcast 8. Sam, I do like to ask all of our guests that are in the industry how you got started. So kind of you know, when you first started wanting to be an actor, when you first wanted to be a director, wanted to be a writer, and kind of that journey that brought you to here, kind of your origin story. Yeah, well, I always wanted to be a writer. I guess kind of like you always want to be a gangster, but uh, I always wanted to be a, a writer, even like in elementary school. That's when I started. And it wasn't until uh, high school when I started like, you know, writing little scripts and stuff and making little movies. And then I started, you know, oh shit, I need actors and stuff. And so I started acting in like my own movies, but I didn't understand what acting meant. And it was very awkward and difficult, but that's when I got into directing though. So it was, it was first writing, then directing, and then kind of like accidentally acting, really not getting, even even when I took a class with some drama kids in the high school, I still, it just wasn't sinking in. So it wasn't until f- several years later when I took another acting class, and then finally it started to sink in. Oh, okay, this is, this is what acting is. They helped me uh, become, you know, sort of an actor myself who also understands the director, you know, how, how acting works. And I did have some questions later as well about acting and the different styles of acting. And because you just brought up, you know, taking certain classes to try to fully understand it. I'm curious, do you feel like as an actor, you have to understand the technical aspects of it? Or is it like baseball, right? Like you don't have to know what a curveball is if you can just get up, see it and hit it, right? No, you don't have to know acting. But I I think uh, certain personalities maybe lend you more towards it being easier like if you're good at listening and taking directions and copying what you see that they'll make it a lot easier for you to sort of naturally be an actor but none of those apply to me (laughs) so (laughs) bad at listening bad at taking direction myself so it was a little bit harder to get into that and figure out what, what what's going on there well i was gonna ask that too about you know there's different types of actors like in my notes, when I sent over to you initially, I mentioned obviously Daniel Day Lewis is one of those guys who, you know, if you go to Juilliard acting or you go to the actor's studio, right? This is a guy that people study his methods and what he does. But there's also people like, you know, Orion Reynolds, right? Who you don't assume has any sort of formal training, but just has a lot of charisma and is really good on screen, right? Uh, actually, I don't, I don't know if he, he might have formal training. I don't know. He's been around for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think actually most famous actors that you see are actually very good actors or they wouldn't be there but there are some who are just there because of the star power mm-hmm. but also they have the advantage that they can get people to guide them and in fact that actually is happens like sometimes when you have a musician who gets into a big movie mm-hmm. they'll have a coach an acting coach there to help them like for a big emotional movement or e- even some people who are famous actors 
uh, aside from musicians, if they have to do like an, an accent, you know, it's a big enough budget movie that they can just hire a whole accent coach. Like Robert Downey Jr. gets a accent coach when he does like Sherlock Holmes. Musicians get like, you know, a coach to help them with moments. So uh, I don't know if that answers. <laughs> I forgot what the original question was, but I don't know if that helps answer the question at all. No, it's good. Basically, what I was asking is because I do know that a lot of people do go to school to study acting. And then there are people who get into acting without going to school to study it. It doesn't mean that they're bad actors. They could be just naturally gifted, but they don't have the schooling and the education behind it, but they are still wildly successful. Yeah. I, I think one one thing is sometimes you just can find a different path to be as good as people are schooled. Wrestlers are actors, but they don't necessarily have to go to acting school. But once they become fit, uh, good at wrestling, you know, a lot of those people go on to do movies and some of them are actually very good actors. I think it's just, they've, they've gotten experience in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I think experience can be better than schooling in some senses as well. I talk to people, it's like going to college to get a business degree, right? You go for four years, you get a business degree, but there could be somebody who's just working in a sales job for four years without a college degree. That's just as good because he's got that experience, right? Right, right. I did want to ask because you do wear many hats. As I mentioned at the start of the show, you are a writer, you are a director, you are an actor. I had asked the question on social media. It's always something that is great for conversation, which is in terms of a great movie, what percentage goes credit-wise to the script, to the actors, to the director? Yeah, I mean, of course, that's like an impossible question. I, you know, I was actually... I. I you had sent me that I was thinking about that and I was thinking sometimes there's screenplays that with the wrong director, it would be a bad movie. But if you can match the, that script with the right director, it suddenly becomes, I mean, like let's take the social network, which I mean, I, I thought it was, it was pretty good. I don't know if you think it's like great, but I thought it was pretty good. Very watchable. At least that script was, uh, I think it's Aaron Sorkin ridiculously long script, mostly dialogue dialogue is fun to read in a script but um when you go to actually direct it then you're like oh shit how are you gonna actually make that into a movie that's watchable how are you gonna show instead of telling stuff like that but obviously they paired that with a director that actually figured it out you know uh so i think script it's such a difficult question because sometimes there's movies that don't even have the script when they start like like because like a totally opposite example is uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. It didn't even have a full script. They started making it. But because they had like a team that knew what they were doing and had worked together, that ended up being a really great movie. I think one of one of my favorite action movies, actually. Well, the reason I asked about script, too, and because you are a script writer, I think when I reached out to you is I'd seen your post that you had just gotten an opportunity to read for a comedy horror right? that was going to come out. And I was curious, now you're looking at this as an actor or a director and you get this script and you're reading it. I guess what stands out about a really good script? Like what makes you go, wow, this is really good. I'm not sure if I'm in a position to have enough experience with that because I'm like a, a nobody in Hollywood. So it's not like I'm the one getting like a, a wide variety of scripts to choose from. But even if I was like Tom Cruise, it would still be hard to answer because... You could say, you know, it's got a great plot. Or you could say, oh, I'm supposed to be the main actor. 
am I on the most pages? But no, none of those will tell you if it's going to become a good movie. That's that's a good question. How do you know a script's going to make a good movie? In my very limited experience, and I mentioned, I started to mention this before. If you see a lot of dialogue, that's actually oftentimes that's fun to read. Mm-hmm. A very heavily dialogue thing. So if you start seeing big blocks of action, you're like, oh, it's boring. I'm going to skip over. Like, what? Uh, you see a big monologue. Ah, who cares? Like, but that doesn't mean it's going to be filmed. You know, maybe you need all that action to, to film it. And, and of course, this is before even the shooting script where most of the action is added in, like from the director and cinematographer and stuff. So I guess that's my, from my experiences, a lot of dialogue may seem like it's going to be a brisk, fun movie, but in reality, that means you're not out of the weeds yet. You guys still have a lot of work to do to try and turn that into a shooting script and turn it into an actual movie. So, so I guess, I guess the warning would be is if there's too much dialogue and especially if you see any exposition, that's like, okay, maybe we need some more drafts. But of course, that doesn't stop Hollywood, though. I mean, a lot of movies, like, Ant, I mean, in my opinion, like that, the second Ant-Man movie was horrible with exposition. A lot of, a lot of movie, big budget movies are, I think because of the, the schedules they have, they're like, well, we got to release this next year on July 24th. We have no, <laughs> just film it. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it makes sense, and I think it's funny because it's great that you mentioned that. Like, if it's a dialogue-driven script, it might be really fun to read. It doesn't mean it's going to make for a great movie. And what I thought of initially, because you mentioned Aaron Sorkin, right? And everything that he writes is very dialogue-driven. And great dialogue. Everything I watched that he writes has great dialogue in it. But then you got to say, like, a Michael Bay movie, like Bad Boys, right? There's It's probably very little dialogue in that script, but it's a cool, you know, explosion, gunshot-filled movie, right? You know, it's funny you mention that. Because the first Bad Boys movie was actually a very long script, and they cut it down because of budget, I think. <laughs> but yeah, generally, like a Michael Bay movie, by the time you've seen it, it's actually hard to get access to scripts of movies that are not the shooting scripts. Like most of the scripts you you find online or that they release for like Oscars, they're, those are like the shooting scripts or like post shooting scripts and like someone has retyped them and it has you know the final stuff from the movie mm-hmm. so it's actually kind of hard to find like the original raw script i actually have I th- <laughs> it's funny you mentioned i have the bad boy script though i was gonna <laughs> it's actually re- really long but the original bad boys movie was like probably michael bay's shortest movie i think because that was like probably his first movie right i'm not sure yeah. the first the first bad boys movie i think that was his uh that was his big, yeah, 1995. That was like his breakthrough. So I guess I just opened it. Oh, I guess this is also a shooting script. It's 141 pages. Okay. But so- if that was a normal script, that would mean it would be two hours and 20 minutes long. But the original Bad Boys was actually a lot shorter than that. Right. So I think they must have cut a lot <laughs> a lot out of that. Or, or maybe just his directing style just compresses because if you have a minute per page normally. Well, let me ask you about the difference between writing a script and a, a story, because you said you were into writing at a young age. I'm a writer as well, and but I write a lot of fiction and a lot of stories. I've never really gotten into writing a script or looked into it, but I watched a table read for Breaking Bad, and 
Vince Gilligan, when he writes the script, it sounds like a novel. Like it's like, oh, the smoke was still heavy in the air as Walter stood up. It like it doesn't sound like directions, like stage directions. Oh, really? Yeah. That's how that's how he writes it. Yep. That's interesting because a lot of people will say you should avoid too much of that mm-hmm. in a screenplay. Yeah, I thought it was unique because I, I always assumed it was like because I've read scripts from when I was in school. I did some plays and stuff, and it was always like you know, exits left, somebody enters. It's very direction driven. Well, a spec script usually tries to avoid direction also. So it's, I mean, but you can always break the rules, especially if you're like the Cohen brothers or something. You can just write whatever you want. <laughs> but usually, uh, other script writer, you're supposed to also avoid camera things and directions. And when you do see those, that's because you're in Hollywood scripts that you download. If you see all that stuff, it's because it's a post production version script but the original scripts are supposed to actually avoid as much direction as possible because you don't know who's going to direct it right. you don't know so it, it, you try to be very very minimal and one of the questions i had for you that i'd sent over and i definitely had asked you about being critical of things is one of my questions is how do bad scripts get greenlit because and the one I use in my example here is I have the movie from 2004, Torque, which is the worst movie I've ever seen. And it got a $40 million budget. So somebody at the studio read the script for Torque and threw $40 million at it. I don't remember if I even saw that movie. I, would, I, I remember seeing the, po- the poster of it because it was like a, probably inspired by Fast and Furious, right? Exactly, yeah, but more motorcycles and cars. Oh, okay. Oh, I did Torque. With Ice Cube. Yes. Oh, I did watch that. <laughs> um, well, James got someone asked James Gunn that question recently, and he said it was because, I mean, at least in his realm now of the bigger budget, which is probably much bigger budget than Torque, uh, but that when these people put these stakes in the ground for their tent poles years ahead of time, they stick to it and they just got to get to that deadline. And even if that means the script should have had a few more drafts or whatever, it just, they would rather just hit that final deadline of it has to be in theaters. And so you work backwards and there's like, we got to finish it. Got to start filming now. That's what he said. Although it's interesting. Warner brothers keeps is doing like, keeps shifting everything around like by years and months lately. So yeah, I was curious because I worked in uh, the lending industry for years, and one of the things I would notice is at the end of the year in December, I would have businesses call me, and they would need to take out a loan at the end of the year as a tax write-off for the year. And I wonder if it works like that in Hollywood, right, where they're like, hey, listen, you know, we're supposed to spend $250 million this year. We've only spent $100 million. Like, let's just take the next five scripts that come across the desk and make them. Oh, that's an interesting uh, – I don't know. I could believe that happening. Right. Some of the stuff I've seen, uh, I can absolutely. Believe it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I've seen that in. I've, I've worked in the tech industry also, and I've seen things like that in the tech industry. But I'm not sure if that's happening at these big uh, studios or not. It's possible. I did want to ask about directors because I know you'd said that acting was kind of something that followed direction. So it sounds like your passion is writing, then second is uh, directing, and then third is acting. And I'm curious as a director or you know 
what's the difference between a good director and a bad director? Because I've always felt like the director has the least amount of responsibility. Not really. He has a lot of responsibility, but really, if you have a really good script and your actors come out there and they, they lay it down, they're giving you filet mignon and all the spices to make a delicious dish. All you can do is screw it up at that point. Uh, yeah, that's an excellent question because I guess if you're, you're a director that's not very good or kind of absent without leave, the crew can kind of fill in the gaps and throw it over to post-production and they could you know make something out of it. But there won't necessarily be like the overall vision or aesthetic or anything. And I guess arguably a lot of TV shows kind of feel like that because it's a lot of basic coverage. So you could do basic coverage of everything <laughs> and possibly not even need it. You, you know, uh, you, you do a master of every scene. If you have the scenes already and, and like maybe the director didn't even, you know, maybe the, uh, you know, other crew did that. So you, you've got this, you know, list of scenes and shots. Just do a master, do close-ups of, of everything and this basic coverage and then throw it over to editing and, they'll look at the script and do it so you could you could i guess you you could do it without a director but it'll look like the lowest end of tv shows and not have much of an overall vision or anything creative or necessarily or so i i think the director should really be getting everyone into their vision and aesthetic and and for me a lot the first part of that is is the shots themselves. So I mean, if you're a direct, if the director's not even involved in the, sh- I, I feel like that's like a key part of it is being involved with the shots. And the other thing is, of course, being involved with the actors. There's I, I forgot what book. There's there's some people that say there's the actors director, and then there's the the technical director, and the technical director is the one who's off with the camera crew, and just leaves the actors to do <laughs> whatever they want. And then the actor's director is the one who's probably more likely to come from the theater world or something. And they're, they're working a ton with the actors and, and they just kind of leave it up to the technical people and hope it works out with the, <laughs> with the cameras and stuff. Do you think that actors tend to make better directors because they've been directed and so they know what they want and they can kind of implement that as a director themselves? Well, they're certainly good at directing themselves. <laughs> I've directed myself and actually I think probably my best acting has come from that. So there's definitely an advantage and probably it makes you more calm, but you also like, know. there's also the thing like, like you're looking at the monitor and you get, you can also cheat and like, you're like looking at the monitor. Oh, that sucked. Let's do it again. <laughs> you know, like, but your question, uh, I, I don't see how that would guarantee that you're a great director necessarily. Yeah. There's no guarantees. I just think of like, you look at somebody like Ben Affleck's a good director. Clint Eastwood is a good director, you know, and these guys were actors. And so I, and, and yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I've been on, I've seen Ben Affleck direct when I was in Boston. I was in his movie, Live My Night. Oh, excellent. So that was going to be uh, my question for you then, you know, watching people direct. Cause I feel like it's so hard to tell how good a director is from the finished product. You actually have to see them in action to really understand how good they are and what they do. So your experience, I guess, working with different directors, what do really good directors do on set? Like, what is it that you go, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing? Yeah, well, I mean, with the Live by Night thing, the final product, I felt like it was chopped down, but I think maybe that was a studio thing. And I think there's more material that, I think they chopped it down to two hours for some reason. 
Warner Brothers. I think there was a better movie there that was more a little bit a longer movie. So I, I think it was actually well directed. And um, what I saw was Ben Affleck was very much directing it, even though he was also in some of the scenes that, that I was watching. But he was like there with the monitor. He was watching it. He was in a cliched way, had a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. But um, no, he was definitely like controlling things and whatnot, which I haven't always seen because uh, on another Hollywood movie when I was in Boston, I was there for like three days. I knew the only time I even saw the director was like when he was doing his, a cameo of himself. The the whole, th- those three days, it seemed like it was mostly directed by like other crew. So I was like, okay, where's the, <laughs> what is the actual director doing? Where is he? <laughs> but yes. Oh, so what was the original question? I've gone off the list now. No, that's fine. Uh, what what really good directors do on set? Oh, what good directors do? Well, I, d- I don't know. But um, I, th- I think you, you definitely want to be in the position where you can be directly talking to the actors and the cinematography team as much as possible and not leaving it up to like other people is, is certainly a start. It segues a little bit into something that you had posted on Twitter as well. You'd had a, you said, yeah, I had a dream that I was being directed by Steven Spielberg and oh, yeah. I saw a, a, uh, clip and it was from the wolf of wall street and there was a day that steven spielberg was on set he was hanging out with uh, scorsese and steven spielberg directed a scene in the wolf of wall street with leo and some of the people oh really yeah and and the actors were like this is incredible i can't believe like steven spielberg's here he's giving us direction and i thought like what's different between him and scorsese like they're just guys that are telling you what to do right yeah that's a good point like when it comes down to it are, are they just telling you like oh just uh stand here and then stand there are they giving you notes on your performance i mean i've worked well i'm mostly in the indie world so i've worked with a lot of direct and they like to sort of stack on these things and you're kind of wondering okay now i've got they'll like give you notes but you're kind of wondering are they giving me notes just (laughs) to feel directorial or are these really necessary (laughs) you know for them you know because and as an actor, you know, it, it builds up in your mind, like the stack of things you're supposed to do for every single shot. Cause you've got choreography, you've got your lines that you have to say and what you're feeling as the character saying these lines. And then the version that you have of that, and then the version the director has just told you and then, but then multiple takes. And then sometimes the director comes up with another thing and you're supposed to stack that on. And then if there's, physical stuff or like a fight that you lead into then you've got to worry about that and oh no you need to do a beat and this beat and that beat so a lot of things that can stack up pretty quickly just even for a simple shot so i guess i guess the question is what what is what was spielberg adding or subtracting from you know from those particular shots i don't know or even like i said just his style may have been different you know i mean basketball coaches phil jackson coaches completely different than bobby knight you know but I, and I think Spielberg isn't really like, I don't think he's really a cinematographer type of director. So he probably wouldn't have been like, oh, we need to change the lighting. Uh, maybe he, maybe he did. I don't know. But like some, some directors are more into the camera stuff. Like I think Michael Bay is more of like, he could shoot his own film and, and stuff like that. And uh, I think David Fincher is very sensitive to like lighting and cameras and stuff. I'm someone who's trying to learn cameras and cinematography but i would never 
I wouldn't depend on myself right now. I, I always try to get <laughs> someone who is much more smarter than me with cameras and lighting for a movie. I think that's the way to do it. I actually had watched uh, an independent film a few months ago. Uh, uh, somebody, uh, a publicist, had asked me to watch an advanced copy of something. It was a new director. It was his first directorial debut. And they said, hey, what do you think about this? And I, and I watched it. It wasn't great, but... I will say that the cinematography was incredible, and I actually let them know that. I said, I said, whoever you guys had working the camera was unbelievable. A lot of independent movies and direct-to-DVD movies, or sorry, direct-to-video movies, have some a lot of audio problems. It really annoys me because these days, even with like free software, uh, like even I could fix <laughs> a lot of those those audio problems. But it, it, it's clear to me that no one has even bothered. In, in a lot of these movies to even go through the movie and like we're talking like basic levels and fading in and out and stuff like that not even getting into advanced stuff i'm not sure why i don't know if they're just pretending <laughs> you know and also like sound effects being way louder than you know like some people will be talking in a horror movie and you're like trying to crank up the volume and then someone shuts the door and like suddenly the door it's a is like sounds like an explosion <laughs> and stuff like that. I see a lot. I don't know if it's just people. I, I I think the thing is like sometimes direct. You know, I know people who are who are directors, but they don't do audio, so they hand it off to someone else. But if that person doesn't do it properly, then that's that's it. But even bigger movies, I I was hearing some people on a recent movie. I won't say what the company was, <laughs> but they were. It's a a big studio, and they were saying that. The deadlines are so tight that it's like thrown over to the audio people. And then even if it's bad, they have no choice but to accept it or something like that. And and like, and then the deadline's over. So I did want to ask about movie awards, right? Because everyone watches uh, the golden globes and the, you know, the SAG awards and the Oscars. And I was curious if there's one in your opinion that does the best job of kind of letting people know like this is a good movie because sometimes i'll be honest with you some of the stuff that wins i'm like i go and i watch it and i'm like how did this win anything this is garbage and i'm curious like if there's one award that you think like oh if you get this award like that means you really did your job no not really i don't think any of them are that great <laughs> but uh, i i uh, I, I and i haven't really i don't really pay too much attention to the sag awards i see it people posting about it but i haven't really been following sag awards myself the golden globes have some advantage in that they often are just that they're slightly different than the oscars and will sometimes choose things that are controversial or that people thought would be canceled or whatever that the oscars are afraid to deal with so i guess there's a slight advantage to the golden globes but yeah otherwise i don't really who knows I think my controversial take on it is I would go with the People's Choice Award only because I think that the people who know the best whether or not it was a good film are the people sitting in the seats watching it. You know, I think that when you're behind the camera or when you're acting, I think it's hard, you kind of get caught up in it and it's hard to see it from outside the box. And I think that if I'm a fan, and this is the thing, I get in this argument all the time that there are people who say, oh, this is a great work of art. This was incredible art. And I'm like, I'm never going to watch that again. Like, how can it be good if you only want to watch it that one time? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Yeah. 
Well, because I always rate movies when people say, hey, what is the best movie? And I say, well, I rate things on a, a, a entertainment value, a rewatchability. To me, The Princess Bride is incredible because you can watch it 50 times and never get tired of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Drive My Car got a lot of accolades, but I didn't think it was um, as worthy as other people did for, for awards. Like, I, I, I can't really see myself watching Drive My Car again. I, I'll be honest, with you, I've never even heard of it. Dra- Drag my car. <laughs> I think it was nominated for Academy Award. <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of those that get nominated. One year, I actually made the as a I'm going to watch every nominated movie, and I can't remember what year it was, but it was the year it was uh, Brokeback Mountain, Crash, Capote, and I watched all of them. And I didn't really none of them were worth watching more than once. And as much as I love Philip Seymour Hoffman, I just I, I watched Capote and I was like, oh my god, when is this going to be over? <laughs> all right, so let me ask this about uh, Hollywood then. Lack of originality. I'm curious to get your take on it. I'm sure you're a fan as well, just like me, but you also have an inside view of it. I I was doing some research for a podcast I'm going to be a guest on, and my thing was about how in the last four years, I took the top 10 grossing movies of the last four years, so 40 total movies. And then I said, which of these movies is an original idea, meaning it's not a remake, it's not a sequel, it's not a comic book movie, and it's not a video game movie. And it was out of 40 movies, it was one. 39 of the 40 movies were unoriginal ideas. One of the 40 was actually an original idea. And I'm curious, why Why is that? Because back in the 90s, you know, it would be 30 out of 40 were original movies. Yeah, I mean, part of my attraction to movies was from 90s movies. And I think maybe we got lucky with <laughs> like this golden age where they were just like, screw it, we'll let these famous actors do you know, movies that don't have a franchise behind them yet. Maybe we'll hope they'll, it'll become a franchise. Um, they, they, you know, that was when they allowed Sylvester Stallone to do just any movie he wanted it at that point. And he had the, uh, you know, science fiction and fantasy movies with the combination of practical and the, you know, the initial CGI, it was a great nineties was a great time for movies. I think, for whatever reasons, you know, right before they were like, oh, crap, we need to lock everything down to a, <laughs> a franchise. I mean, uh, sure, some of them were comic books or whatever, but they were like the first movie versions of, you know, like the, sh- the Shadow movie and the Judge Dredd movie and the Tank Girl movie and the Phantom movie, et cetera, et cetera. Waterworld actually was an original, but, you know, all those were great. Yeah, the Fifth Element. Great, yeah, Fifth Element, that was original, right? Or was that based on... I think it was original, but even if it was yeah. based on something... or no, Oh, no, I guess it was inspired by Valerian, but it was an original script. Yeah, so it was tons of that. So it was a great... 90s was a great time. But yeah, somehow the uh, business people took over, I guess, of companies, uh, of Disney, etc. And as long as people keep paying for movies that are already part of existing material they'll just keep making them and a big part of that is the family stuff the four quadrant movies that did see me i did want to ask about your preferred style or your particular style because as i'd mentioned earlier i get into arguments with people that i don't really like movies that are considered art by like the artsy fans so like i don't like tarantino movies and i don't really like you know just movies because i think when you become or you consider yourself an artist there's a kind of starting to consider myself a genius you know and and in some of the movies get a little pretentious so i i like more just like entertainment value more so than like 
art. I don't know if you know what I mean. So yeah, I I I try to flatten out my view of of movies and just allow anything to be. And that's actually kind of a fun thing of Letterboxd. Aside from from letting me sort of keep a a little bit of a memory of movies that for forgotten what I thought of them, uh, it lets me sort of say, hey, if I want to say that crawl a movie about alligators is high art and i'm gonna do it i mean <laughs> i by my value you know i can make up my own criteria yeah what makes a good movie i think the movie crawl from 2019 is a five-star movie for me it meets all of my require it, it meets all of the requirements for plot structure for tension for character building the effects are good it's terrifying and it's rewatchable, you know, the types of things that, you know, you could compare this to any other movie and say, what makes some highfalutin pretentious movie better? The one that I usually get into arguments with people about in, in movie circles is I don't think that There Will Be Blood was a good movie. I think that Daniel Day-Lewis in it was unbelievable. I mean, he carried that movie. But I think if you take him out of that movie, it's a really boring movie. Yeah, I think that movie got away with a lot. <laughs> um, I think structurally it was a bit messed up and they did the weird thing with the actor playing two roles, which I don't think they even had planned on originally Paul Dano. And then ended up depending so much on Paul Dano actually in the second half of it. And you know, luckily he's a great actor, but yeah, I, I thought it was, it was an interesting weird movie, but yeah, I felt like structurally it just felt like kind of a, a little bit hacked together and a bit, structurally messed up and when i see you know some of these again the the artsy crowd poo-pooing some of like the bigger budget things and i'll give you an example martin scorsese obviously was very critical of marvel movies and i just wonder if that's like you know the drama kids at school making fun of the jocks because they're not the jocks i don't know uh maybe i don't know so so i'm i'm always like a a transformers def defender okay I think the thing is, it's too easy for people to to try and trash on the Michael Bay Transformers movies. They it's almost like an, they don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, it's it, it'll be socially acceptable for me to to diss this. But have they really thought about it? Like, have they actually analyzed the movie? I have analyzed. The, the, I've not just watched the movies for fun. I've analyzed them. I think that they all have certain bad things and certain good things about them. And I think that there are some things about those movies that have never been replicated by anybody. And people have tried to copy them, never succeeded. And in fact, even the first Avengers movie, supposedly Joss Whedon was basically just copying Transformers 3. That was his inspiration. You watch Michael Bay movies carefully, including the Transformers movies, you'll see a craft that's very difficult to do. You know, you don't have to agree with the theme if there is a, a theme of the movie, uh, although there actually is themes in his movies. You don't have to agree with the script, which he didn't write. So I, I think I think people just kind of jump on little, little bandwagons because they think it's acceptable. Well, you know, what it reminds me of is because I'm a big music fan as well, is it kind of reminds me of the Starbucks crowd, right? Kind of like crapping on whatever the popular pop song is because it's the popular pop song right right exactly 
All right. So I like to end things with kind of like a get to know your guest. And because you're in the movie industry, these should be some fun ones. What is your favorite movie? Oh, my favorite movie. That's a hard one. I don't I don't have a favorite movie, but I, I guess I'll just take something off the top of my letterbox. So let's go with RoboCop. Oh, my goodness. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, RoboCop is such a great movie, and I actually have uh, one of my friends, uh, Kyle, who is the host of Movie Wars. That's his favorite movie, and uh, my wife likes to make fun of it. She's never seen it, but I'm, I try to tell her, like, it's really good. It's not like an Academy Award-winning movie, but if you just want to be entertained for an hour and a half, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's and, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, never actually saw the real RoboCop because they were just exposed to, like, when it came out on TV, it was an edited version of robocop you really want to see the raw and especially if you get the extended like gore version you want to see the most uncut you know the the rawest robocop possible to get the full the full experience i think i was uh, eight years old i saw it in the theater i thought it was fantastic oh wow (laughs) oh (laughs) and that's why you are like you're no (laughs) (laughs) it explains a lot that's my wife says about anything I'm like, oh, yeah, I really okay. like this movie. Oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how about who's your favorite actor? Oh, favorite actor. Somebody who, if they're in a movie, you're like, I'm going to see this because they're in it. There's so many. Definitely Denzel Washington. I don't even know. Suddenly all actors that <laughs> I forgot <laughs> the names of every actor, but Charlie's Theron. All right. There's two good ones. <laughs> so for me, I, I love Hugh Jackman. You know, I think that's the guy who obviously he can, he does comedy. He does action. He does, you know, dramas. He does. I just feel like obviously he can sing and dance. You know, so I feel like extremely versatile. So that's a guy who I think anytime I see him coming out with a movie, I'm like, oh man, I bet, I bet that's gonna be good, or at least he's gonna be good. Yeah, he's like the classic drama kid gone wild, but <laughs> he does everything. All right. And from a director's point of view, favorite director? Ooh, that's a hard one. I guess I could cheat and say certainly a big influence is Paul Roman, mm-hmm. who did RoboCop. And- also did Starship Troopers. And I really like the way that he was able to infiltrate Hollywood. He was from Europe. He infiltrated Hollywood and did satires that people thought were normal Hollywood action movies, but were actually satires and making fun of a lot of things, in some cases even making fun of Hollywood, (laughs) until they finally realized it and kicked him out. Uh, so certainly that's that's one one influence. I don't I don't have a favorite director. I I do like Christopher Nolan's Inception movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's some it's, there's some directors where I really like one or two of their movies they made. Like I love the movie Nightcrawler. Yep. But that that's pretty much the only movie by that director that I really love. <laughs> well, I, that's why I was thinking. Somebody asked me that question, and, and that's why I came up with it. They said, you know, who's your favorite director? And I. Just like you, I'm like, oh my goodness, let me think of my movie favorite movies. And I actually have two of my top four all-time favorite movies are directed by Rob Reiner, and that's A Few Good Men and The Princess Bride. And so I was like, I guess oh, Rob Reiner. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't even realize he uh, did those movies. <laughs> those are my three questions. And if you wanted to let people know, I guess, uh, where they can kind of follow you, because uh, I obviously I follow you, and I, I mentioned some of your tweets, but... Uh, where are some different places that people can check you out? Yeah, if uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Sam Vanavray. I also have a website which links to everything, which is imaginarydanger.com. I'm Sam Vanavray on, on uh, Facebook and Instagram. 
I realize my last name is probably hard to spell. So, but if you go to imaginarydanger.com, you'll find everything. Well, I do appreciate you joining the show. It's it's been a lot of fun. I think we got a lot of really great information about you know kind of behind the camera a little bit, which is always stuff that I'm interested in, and I know that our listeners are as well. And so, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on here. That's all, folks. Mm-hmm.